upon us. We're in Romans chapter 10, if you'd like to turn and follow along with us in the Scripture and come to a place really that's that's widely misused and uh, misquoted and the danger here of taking the Word of God out of context. We're not there yet, but just for an example, if you look in verse 13, for whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, if I read that one verse, and that's the only verse I read, then call on the Lord. You can be saved. Why can't we just then go down to Walmart and say, look, Bible says you're a sinner. Call on the Lord, you can be saved. We get them now. Repeat after me. They've done it. It's as good as done. That's not the way it works, though, is that that's going on to in a sense and to a degree. But we can't take that verse out of the context of the verses around it, as well as what we've already covered in the book of Romans. If you do that, you're going you're gonna to get a twisted message and a twisted meaning there that God never intended when He wrote that verse down. So we've looked in this chapter to this place. The Jews, they have a zeal of God, but they're ignorant of the true righteousness of God. Because their hearts were ignorant as to what God said was righteous, They've went about to establish their own righteousness. And in these previous verses, he's looked at the two covenants. The one covenant God gave uh, really to Adam, but to Moses, the law. And that law said, do this and you'll live. It was a I have to and I must keep the law of God perfectly for my entire life and I can live by the law. But the flesh being weak and rebellious and corrupt and sinful, man could not keep that covenant. But the word of faith, it's not if you do this, it's not that we have to go to heaven and bring Christ down. It's not that we have to go into the abyss, as the word he uses, and bring Christ out, that is, bring Him again from the dead. But the word of faith is nigh thee. In verse number 8, this is where we got to. The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. So all of this is quoted from Deuteronomy chapter 30. And so the word of faith is not something that I do to reach God, but it is God from heaven reaching unto me. It's Jesus Christ, Him crucified, resurrected and ascended, and now by the ministry of the Spirit, God is reaching individual souls, not just in a a wide variety and a call to everybody at one time, but He brings it by the Spirit to the individual heart and to the individual mouth. And what does it say? That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. 
For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. With the mouth confession is made unto salvation. An interesting thing just to start with in these two verses. If you notice in verse 9, confess and believe. In verse 10, believe and confess. The order reverses there. And I, I think all things are done for a purpose. And you, you see how man corrupts things so much. And really what man is looking for is a formula. I'm a math man. I like formulas. Because if I can figure out what goes in there, you plug it in, you do the math right, you've got your answer. Man wants a formula to come to God that if I do this, and then I do this, and then I do this, and then I do this, then I can come to God and be saved. Man wants a, a means and a way that he's figured out that he can come to God. But there, there is no formula for this. It's not, well, first, you've got to confess it first, and then you believe it. And it's not, well, you've got to believe it first, and then you confess it. But with the reversing of these, these are simultaneous things that occur in the heart of one that's saved. These are, if you'll have it, we looked at the fruits, Anthony looked at the fruits, some of the fruits of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the believers. Well, here's the fruit of true biblical faith in someone that comes to Christ. There is a believing. Believing means that word. That word means to have faith in, upon, or with respect to, to credit, or to entrust. Now it is the possession of faith. If I believe in Christ, I possess faith. I have faith in Christ. Now we can say that rather flippantly. Put your faith in Jesus. I can, I can tell a lot of people, well you need to have your faith. Just put your faith. It's as easy as putting your faith in Jesus. But all men don't have faith. See, it's not just, well, you just do this. That's what man makes everything. You just do this and you can have it. You just go through these steps and then you can obtain it for yourself. And the problem is the operation of God, the ministration of the Spirit of God is left out. We know the Father from eternity past set this plan of salvation in order. He foreordained this to be. He sent the Son. We know that the Son came in the likeness of sinful flesh. He bore our griefs. He bore our sorrows. He bore our transgressions and our sins to the cross and paid for our guilt there. Now what about the third person? What's He doing? God has sent the Spirit as well. The Father sent the Son to pay for my sins. But when the Son ascended, the Father then sent the Spirit. Why is the Spirit then sent? He's the minister of grace and of faith 
to the hearers. He's the one that by his power brings this, that word faith. If you look that up over and over and over again in the New Testament, that word Greek, the word in Greek, it means to have a persuasion. It's a conviction of religious truth. The Holy Spirit is that that, that ministers the persuasion and the conviction of religious truth. Now, in, in those that are saved, did you have any persuasion or conviction of the truth of your condition and your need before the Holy Ghost came? So see, that faith, that persuasion and conviction was not of yourselves. That was not present beforehand. It's not, well, I had done all of this and reached this point and then when I could go no further, God then did the rest for me. No, it's I had nothing. I was as dead as a man six feet under. And God the Holy Spirit came to me, quickened me, persuaded me, convinced me of the truth, and brought me to Christ. So I can tell you to have faith and put your faith in Jesus. The truth is your faith that is of you is dead from the beginning. And except God quicken you, you can't put your faith in Jesus. You don't have faith. So, so God says... And I realize, you always run into this verse. Well, He's given to every man the measure of faith. In that Scripture, if you'll look, and I'm not lying, if you'll look, He's speaking there to the church. And I'm telling you to all of those that come to faith in Jesus, God's given them the measure of faith to come to Him. Because He writes again, the same writer, Paul the Apostle, the same hand that wrote it, the same man that said he's given every man the measure of faith, he wrote, all men have not faith. So we're going to have to reconcile that somehow. Well, one's written to the church. Those that God's persuaded and convicted by the ministry of the Spirit, and the Spirit uses the Word of God to convince and persuade them to come to Christ, and all men does not have that same persuasion. They don't. They don't have faith naturally. They're dead. And God is doing a work. So then, if thou shalt confess... And now, I'm not, I'm not saying this isn't how it works. I'll tell you, when, when God does bring persuasion of the heart, I will confess. I'll say the same thing. And I'll agree with... You know why I'll agree with God because God has convinced me that this is the truth. You know why I couldn't agree with God before? Because I had no conviction that that was true. I believe, now there may have been parts that I would have said, yeah, I agree with that. But when it come down to me now, I disagreed that I needed anything. Had no conviction of that. 
You, you know who convicted me of that? God convicted me of that. Where did that persuasion come from? From God. The faith was the gift of God and He's the one that gave it. So we can go to Walmart now and say just confess and agree and we can get the outward motion of that to, to come forth. But my God, we ought to, if you do that for a week, you ought to be able to stand back and say, wait a minute, there's nobody's lives being changed by this. There's no one being regenerated from the work that we're doing, and that ought to be enough to tell you this is not what God is saying. God is in the business of making new creatures out of those that are regenerated. This is not a step-by-step process that I have to follow to be saved. This is what happens as a result of the operation of God taking place in my heart. So God has convinced and God has convicted and God's persuaded me of the truth and now because I'm persuaded, I'm willing to get up and say, you know, God is right. That's what Paul did. God came by and persuaded Paul and not a month later, but the very next day, you know where they found him? He was down at the temple saying God and the gospel and the Lord Jesus was right. He was confessing what God had convinced him of. He didn't have that before. It was the gift of God to Paul that he might be saved. So of course somebody that God persuades is going to confess. They can't do no other. They are to the very fiber of their bodies. They are convicted and convinced that this is the truth. And they will agree with God. They will agree with God. Confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe to have faith. That's what the word means. In thine heart that God has raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Easy as pie till you see what the words mean and what He's really saying. How can I have faith if I do not have faith? There must be a quickening ministration of the Spirit of God in my life. And I've said this many times, and we'll say it one more, (coughs) that the Spirit's ministry is just as important as the ministry of the Son and the ministry of the Father in my salvation. Just as necessary. And why everybody would say, well, it's necessary that Jesus died. We had no way to come to God except Jesus died. Well, as necessary as Jesus was, and it's absolute, the Spirit is just as necessary because I had no desire to come to the Lord Jesus until the Spirit persuaded and convicted me that this Word of God is the truth. This is what He persuades of. He's not out persuading me of loony things that are contrary to the Word of God, but the Spirit convicts and persuades me that the Word of God is right 
and that I'm wrong. That's the ministry that's taking place. And if, if he's not ministering then, even though there is a way to come to God opened through Jesus Christ, if you leave the Spirit out, nobody's really going to come to Him in faith. He's necessary. As necessary as it was for Christ to die, without the Holy Spirit of God, that it, it doesn't become effectual to me without the work of the Spirit of God. That's right. We can't have faith. There's no faith there. And so when I say to you, now just imagine, you're a lost man, yet you know what I know right now and what I've said to you. I say, look, just confess and believe is all you got to do. Now a lost man, you get down the book and start dividing, he's not going to agree with the Word of God. And how can a dead man with no faith have faith? So what you're telling people is impossible except God is at work with a spirit. It's impossible. This is not a work of man. And I'll say this, this is not a work of the church either. This is God working to bring man to Christ. Now He works through the church. He works through the gospel. He works through teaching. He works through testimony. And He works through song. But it's not me doing that to bring them to that. This is the work of God. <clears throat> and so, hath raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. <clears throat> A two-part work. We're two-part people. We've got a part from the dust. The first man, the earthly man, that's from Adam. We've got a flesh. We've got a part God breathed in. The soul of man. The part that didn't come from the terrestrial earth, but was given unto us by a holy, righteous, pure God. So there's two parts. Those parts separate, don't they? When I die, the spiritual man separates from this natural earthly body. And if you've ever saw that happen, I don't care what kind of shape they're in, when there's the separation takes place, it's evident in the outward man that you see. Though I can't see that separation with the natural eye, I can see the life that has left the natural man. A separation has occurred. And so this work of God, it's not just in a spiritual realm where that you can't see that. Now that's true. There is a work that you can't see. Jesus forgiving the sins of my life, that's a work you can't see. And I can get down and pray and get up and say, Jesus has forgiven me of my sins and I'm saved. And you've got no evidence whatsoever that can argue against what I said. Ain't that the truth? Because that's a work that's unseen. 
But the work also is in the outward man as well. In the heart man believes, but with the mouth confession is made. And these two go together. It's not two separate parts of one work. It's not step one and step two. But it is when there's conviction and when there's belief in the heart, then there is confession with a mouth. They come together as one work. There's a work in the inward man that is evidenced in the outward man. And if you look up the word grace throughout the New Testament, that is the definition of grace. The divine work of God in the inward man and it therefore reflected in the outward man. And so the persuasion then causes me to confess the Lord Jesus Christ. So listen, next verse. For the Scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. So he quoted this, if you look back, the last verse of chapter 9. He quoted this. This is from Isaiah. You can find it in Isaiah 28, verse 16, as well as 49, 23. Pretty close. And so Isaiah wrote this down. Paul is using this to prove his point. Again, the Old Testament Scripture. And in comparison now to the law and the Old Covenant, look at the difference. That's really what he's doing here in context of this Scripture. He's talked about the Old Covenant, do and you'll live. And he's talked about the new where God is doing and I'm not doing anything, but God's delivering this work to me. And so the Old Testament says, you have to do it all. You keep every part of it and don't miss one place of it. The New Testament says, believe and confess. So God convicts, God draws, God regenerates and changes, God makes new creatures. And the new creature then, the work of the change of desire in the inward man, that must be reflected in the outward man. It must be. And if there's no reflection, there's been no persuasion. So, he that believeth, whosoever believeth on him, shall not be ashamed, shamed down, disgraced, or put to blush. I believe just exactly what our brother said this morning. When there is a work, and when there is a salvation, and when we recognize what God has done for us in Jesus, we won't be ashamed to tell of a work that He's done unto us. Those that believe, they're not ashamed. They're proud of the love and the grace and the mercy that the Lord Jesus shed upon them, that the Father adopted them into the family and the spirits regenerated them. They're not ashamed of Him. He's their Savior and the one where their affections lie. So if there's affections then, 
There won't be shame in His name. Jesus in Hebrews 2 where we were last week, Jesus is not ashamed to call us brethren. Though Jesus has every right to be ashamed of me and of what I've done and of what I've said, but because of His love for my life, Jesus is not ashamed to be called brethren with the church and those that are born again. And so those that are born again and that are brethren with the Lord Jesus, they won't be ashamed to call Him brother as well. There will be an outward confession and agreement that is made with God to His glory to His honor and to the work that He done within us. Now remember Peter, and you might have a lot of arguments here, but I, I believe just what the Word of God says, that they weren't filled with that Spirit of God. They weren't endued with power until the day of Pentecost. Jesus said, tarry here till you be endued and then you'll be witnesses. I believe there was the day that they received the fullness of the Holy Ghost of God. And so Peter now, Peter has been with Jesus. I believe Peter loves Jesus. Peter believes that he's the Son of God. Peter's not got the Spirit in his heart dwelling with him. And so when the pressure's put on, and they say, you're, you're one of them. You followed him. And the little girl says, I recognize you. You followed that man. And he cursed and he denied three times that he knew the Lord Jesus. You know what he was? In that place of pressure, he was ashamed. They, through their accusation and through what was happening with Jesus, Peter was ashamed to call him his Savior and that he was a disciple of him. But that changed do you see Peter being changed after Acts chapter 2? <clears throat> His life changes. And I don't see one place where the man was ever ashamed again to the place that they took his life for his testimony. He was beaten, he was persecuted, thrown in prison for the gospel, and yet he never stopped the testimony. Now what was the difference? The work of God in the heart. When the work of God is in the heart, there won't be any shame for the one that done the work. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. With the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. The same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon Him. So now, we're back now to the Jew and the Gentile, and there's no difference between the two. Isn't it something that so much doctrine and teaching, they still want to tell you that there's a difference between the two? When the Bible, over and over again in the New Testament tells me that there's no difference between the two. They both must come to Jesus 
for salvation. And when the Jew calls by the working of God in the heart, God answers his prayer for salvation just like he does the Gentile that calls and that's brought by the work of God in the heart. He works on them the same way. The same God is loving, is saving, is working the same in the life of the Jew as he is the Gentile with no distinction between the two. No distinction. So when somebody wants to make a difference, know that there is no difference today. They both must come to Christ for redemption and salvation. That's what Peter means when he says, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. Now, if you'll listen to that a lot of times, that's translated as God's going to do for me exactly what He does for you. In salvation, that's true. That's not true in the flesh. And that's not true for every man on the earth either. It's not. That's not true. But God deals with Jew as He does Gentile, and He does not take into consideration who you are in His work and in His election. That doesn't matter. And so, listen, we'll go on. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So to call, that word means to entitle or to invoke for aid or worship, etc. So who's going to call, invoke the name of the Lord for help, for aid, for salvation and for deliverance. As we've seen in these previous verses, it's those that God has done a work on. And any other call now that's not produced by the ministry of the Spirit, if you come and call because I convince you you're calling because of me, and not out of a true need in the heart for a work from God. Now he is going to, in the next verses as well, nail it down tight again. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? So we'll stop right there. And There's no way we're going to get through this. We'll talk just for a minute maybe. <clears throat> but those that call on the name of the Lord will be saved. It is. It is that simple. Those, and I mean it, those that invoke the name of the Lord for deliverance they can be saved. And everyone that invokes the name of the Lord for salvation will be saved. Now, the question is, how are we going to call on Him? Well, He's going to give us how people call on Him. How shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? 
That's the same word as previous. To have faith in, upon, with respect to. So think about it now. How can I call on God if I've got no faith in God? Is it possible for me to call on someone for salvation that first of all I don't believe in at all? You see how absurd that is? How can a man call on God without faith in God? How can a man call on the Lord Jesus without faith in Jesus? If I'm not persuaded that He can help me, how can I call on Him in faith? There's no way. So how then, if I've got to call and I've got to have faith in order to call, where do I get that from then? Where can I get this belief from? How shall they believe in Him of whom they've not heard? So now if you've never heard about the Lord Jesus, how can you believe in Him? That's absolutely impossible. How can I believe in something that I've never heard of? I'm going to have to have some kind of knowledge. You see that? If I don't know about the Lord Jesus, if I don't know about His sacrifice, if I don't know about His death and resurrection, if I don't know about the law, and if I don't know about sin, and if I don't know about the judgment for sin, if I don't know that I'm going to hell, then why would I believe in Jesus to save me from hell? You see that? I've got to know some things in order to have faith. I've got to be persuaded of some things in order for me to even call on the Lord Jesus. How shall they believe in Him in whom they've not heard? It is impossible to believe in something that you've never heard of. It's impossible. And so, here's the importance of right doctrine. If all you ever get is jambled up opinions and thoughts of man and never the Word of God, then how are you going to ever hear about the true work that God's done? If all people hear is, look, just believe. Just come down here and confess, and while you're as saved as everybody in heaven, they're not hearing the Word of God. They're not hearing the truth. The Word of God is not being rightly divided. They cannot believe in whom they've not heard. And how shall they hear without a preacher? Boy, if God would have left this out, the world would have been a happier place. Because, well, they can hear through a song. They can hear through testimonies. They can hear through what... Just, just go witness. Go and share the gospel. And I'm not saying we shouldn't share the gospel. We should share the gospel. We should compel them to come to the Lord Jesus. But to come now to the Lord Jesus and to call on Him for salvation requires for me to have faith in Him. In order for me to have faith in Him, I'm going to have to have heard something about Him. I can't believe 
what I've never heard. And in order for me to hear something about Him, I hear that from a preacher. Well, we, we don't need preaching nowadays. We can make it just fine without preaching. Well, God says in the first chapter of this book that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So when you ask me, now what's the power that God uses to save people? It's the gospel. How's the gospel reach people? Through the foolishness of preaching. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the foolishness of preaching, God chose to call them that would come. God chose to call and work through preaching. And without a preacher of the gospel, there will be no one come to Christ and call on Him for salvation. But what, what kind of preacher is this now? Is there any standards on a preacher? Can anybody be a preacher? He says right here, how shall they preach except they be sent, <clears throat> set apart to send out on a mission? That's the meaning of that word. Who sets them apart? And who sets them out? This is God's work. Paul says, I'm an apostle by the will of God, by the power of Christ. God is the one that set me apart for this ministry and for this work. And you know, God is still setting men apart. Well, that was only for the apostles. Well, in Ephesians, God gave some apostles. But He gave some pastors. And He gave some evangelists. And He gave some teachers. And God is the one that is setting apart, that is calling, that is equipping, and that is sending out. Right. Having a degree. And now listen, let's be clear. We can, we can bullnose up and hold against people things that ought not be held against them. I believe there would be a great advantage to have a degree. Yes. And learning. Help me to... Help me to understand this better. Help me to see more into this. But having a degree don't make you a preacher. We ordain. The ordination is laid out in the Word of God. But we could ordain somebody with the finest men in the world. That, they're not passing on the power to preach. You know what ordination is? It's we believe that God has called this man for this work. We believe God has equipped him and shown by the Spirit of God working in his life that God has called him to preach and we're going to lay our hands on him and say we agree that God has done this work. It's a testimony of what God's done. It's what it is. So it's God that sets apart and it's God that sins. And though you could speak with the tongues of men and the tongues of angels, except a man be sent, there's nothing that's effectual and working of God in what that He says. And it's just like going to calculus. 
You can learn some math, but those words do not regenerate my heart. I can learn a formula and learn how to figure, but to change my life, those words of instruction, they won't do that. The words of a man will not do that either. I don't care how good a fella, how well educated, how well that he can talk, it, that none of that matters. But now hold on a minute. That does not mean that an educated and a well-spoken man cannot preach the gospel. We take it too far sometimes. We do. No, what matters is the power of God that has set this man apart and that effectually works through what he says. And those God-called men, God will work through them and what they say will be alive in the heart of the believer. And it will be alive in the heart of them that God calls. God's power works through the mouth of those that He set apart for the work. We'll stop right there. Anything on your heart you'd like to say